this morning, Jackie Bolt will be giving us a little overview on Galatians, helping us to kind of see visually uh, where these churches probably were, and a little some history and some context. So this morning, welcome Jackie. Good morning, everybody. I'm so glad that you're all here. Um, last week you got to know a little bit about your teaching team, but one thing that I didn't mention is that prior to teaching Bible study, prior to having children, I taught middle school history and geography. So when Pam asked if I would teach the overview week, she kind of sweetened the pot with like, you get to use maps. So then I was in, I was totally in. Atlases are my favorite. Um, I love to learn about other places around the world and to think about what it'd be like to live there. I could spend hours um, just you know, looking through different types of maps and pictures from around the world, just imagining what it would be like, what it is like. So I'm excited to get to put that passion of mine to use this week. So hopefully none of you are just like ready to head home now, going like, geography is not my thing. I'm not interested. I realize it's not everyone's favorite subject, but I hope that it'll be helpful as we look at Galatians. My goal for us this morning is that we'd have a clear working knowledge of the main point of the book of Galatians. And to do that, we're gonna do two things. First, we're gonna use Google Earth to gain an idea of the terrain in the region of Galatia in Paul's day, which is modern day central Turkey. Um, and second, I'd like to bring you in on the method that the teaching team has been using to analyze and process the text and to give you a chance to practice it. So this morning um, is gonna be more interactive than we typically are in the large group teaching time. So for all of you introverts, I apologize. You're gonna have to get ready to talk to other people. Hopefully you've been doing that for a little while now already in your discussion group. But um, before we get to interaction and Google Earth, um, I wanna give you a bit of a roadmap for our time together. So our destination is understanding the main point of Galatians. So to get there, we will travel through three steps. First stop is background information. Second stop is what does the text say? And the third stop is what do the text mean? Okay, so let's pray and then we'll start. Heavenly Father, we need your help this morning um, to understand your word. We wanna be conformed to the image of your son and we need your spirit for either of those things to happen. So that I ask that you would send your spirit to help us now. Let me speak truth that helps and let anything that's incorrect or unhelpful fall away. Pray that you would be glorified and that our understanding of Galatians this morning would grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so now we're en route to understanding the main point of the book of Galatians. And we've reached our first stop, background information. So feel free to follow along. Um, on your map of Paul's first missionary journey, on the last page of the appendix, the very last page of your workbook, the map recounts Paul and Barnabas' movements from Acts chapter 13 and 14. Um, and we're going to start in Antioch, the Antioch that's closest to Jerusalem. If you had a chance to do the extra time section, you've already looked at these chapters in question two on page 13. We're also going to look at these chapters in week two. So... Um, today will be a little foretaste of what's to come, all right? So Antioch, near Jerusalem today, is called Antakya, Turkey. It's about 63 miles from modern-day Aleppo, Syria, 
And this is where we begin in Acts 13.1. I'm just going to really briefly kind of show you how a couple things that I learned about how to use Google Earth as I was preparing. So um, one of the things that you can do, you kind of see there's Antakya here, and there's Antakya here, and there's lots of different things that say Antakya. But this one right here is kind of where um, the city of Antioch is located. And if you're the type of person who likes to have more of a visual, Google Earth has a great collection of pictures. So you can just click on the picture above, and it takes you to this spot where you can learn about the city. And then you can click on the picture again, and there's just a slideshow of pictures of the city. So we're not going to do this for every city right now because we don't have time. But feel free. I mean, if you have Google, you have Google Earth. So you can look at these things in your own time. Okay. There's about 20 pictures for each city. I don't know who she is, but she's got a pool, and that's pretty cool. <laughs> All right. All right, so we start in Antakya, and then Paul and Barnabas travel southwest about 20 miles to Seleucia, Turkey, which is about 26 feet above sea level. So I'm just going to type that in, and we're going to travel there. Okay, ready? Here we go. Now, Google Earth does like to rotate you which I find to be a little bit nauseating if you, you know, get whatever that's called, motion sickness. So you can just click on this little compass at the bottom and it will immediately put it kind of north side up again for you. So this is Seleucia. It's, you can see it's still a port city. Um, this is where Paul and Barnabas would have left um, for Cyprus. So next we're going to go to Salamis in Cyprus from Acts 13.5. Now, Paul and Barnabas would not have made it that quickly. Um, but you can see that it's quite different, right? Going from the continent back over to an island. Okay, and then they traveled on foot to Paphos, Cyprus. So this is a story in Acts 13, verses 6 through 12, where um, Paul is sharing the gospel with the proconsul, and Elymas, the magician, doesn't want the proconsul to understand the gospel, so he's trying to interfere. And there's sort of like the showdown, and then God strikes Elymas with blindness for a time, and the proconsul seeing that miracle believes in the God that Paul is preaching about. Okay, so let's go to Paphos here quick. So we traveled all the way across the island to the other side. All right. And then from Paphos, they're going to set sail again to Perga, which is in Turkey. Um, in Paul's day, it was in the region of Pamphylia. So Acts 13, 13, right on the Mediterranean Sea. It's about 50 feet above sea level. Let's make sure we have the right Perga. Here we go. Okay. Oh, here we go, rotating, rotating, rotating. Okay. So it's still called Perga today? It's still called Perga today, yep. Okay. So from there, Paul's going to travel north about 120 miles on foot to Antioch of Pisidia in Turkey. He's going to gain 3,812 feet in elevation. So if you uh, remember learning different geographical features, we're going up the mountains. We're going mountain climbing here. Okay. So let's look up Antioch of Pisidia. Paul and Barnabas have traveled from the coast to the mountains on foot. So in Antioch of Pisidia, can you see the ruins there in the middle? Isn't that cool? 
In Antioch of Pisidia, Paul and Barnabas um, address the synagogue, and many want to hear from them again. But when the town comes to hear from them the next week, the unbelieving Jewish leaders grow jealous, and they start to contradict Paul. And Paul tells them that he will take the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles rejoice, and many believe. And then the Jewish leaders there stir up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drive them out of their region. So Paul and Barnabas are going to be hastily mountain climbing now from Antioch of Pisidia to Iconium, which today is called Konya, Turkey. Okay, the path is almost straight east, um, but another 1,964 feet in elevation. So from the time they started in Perga to Iconium, they have traveled almost a, a mile high. So like going from uh, the ocean to Denver in um, you know probably a few weeks time um, okay so this is Acts 14 1 through 7 so in Iconium many Jews and Gentiles believed but unbelieving Jews provoked the Gentiles and they eventually all end up hatching a plan together to stone Paul and Barnabas but Paul and Barnabas learn about this plan and they flee from Iconium to Lystra and Derby all right so modern-day Lystra has not been excavated. So we look up Lystra Mound here. Okay, about 62 miles southeast of Iconium. So Paul and Barnabas are fleeing downhill. They lose about 400 feet of elevation from Iconium to Lystra. So maybe that was a quicker trip. Um, Acts 14, eight through 20 um, is the section that talks about Lystra. So Paul heals a crippled man there. Sorry, it's rotating, rotating. Um, and the local people think that Paul and Barnabas are Hermes and Zeus. And the priest of Zeus tries to offer sacrifices at the temple of Zeus, while Paul and Barnabas try to restrain the crowd and stop the sacrifice from happening. And then the Jewish leaders from Antioch and from Iconium catch up to Paul and Barnabas, and they persuade the crowd to stone Paul and drag him out of the city. So Paul is stoned in Lystra and dragged out of the city and left for dead, but he didn't die. And so the next day, he leaves with Barnabas from Lystra for Derby. Okay. So let's find ancient Derby. See that question mark by ancient Derby? That's because they're not totally sure this is where ancient Derby is. But there's another kind of mound there, like there was for Lystra. Have you noticed how the terrain has changed? It's gone from being very rocky to much flatter, smoother, more hilly, kind of. Okay. So this would have been about 28 miles northeast of Lystra, losing another 28 feet of elevation, so another downhill trek. Acts 14.21, Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel there and made many disciples. So from this point now, Paul and Barnabas are going to retrace their steps. They're going back to the cities where they've preached the gospel and been persecuted. They're going to strengthen the souls of the disciples to encourage them to continue in the faith. They're going to explain that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God, which is what Paul has just um, illustrated before them. Um, they're going to appoint elders in each town. They're going to pray for the congregation there and commit them to the Lord. Isn't that amazing how they make this trek and then they make this trek all the way back? So that's from Acts 14, 22 to 23. 
Okay, then Paul and Barnabas are going to pass through the regions of Pisidia and Pamphylia, which you can see on your map. Um, they're going to spread the word about the gospel in Perga and Italia and sail back to Antioch by Jerusalem to declare to the church there everything that God had done. And that's Acts 14, 24 through 28. Okay, so it's a really brief sort of geographical flyover of those two chapters in Acts to give us some context of where these things happened and who the Paul is talking to. So the people that live in um, Antioch of Pisidia and Iconium and Lystra and Derby, these are the people that he is writing to in the book of Galatians. Okay? All right. So next I have a little bit of history for you. Um, and this is actually a quote from one of, whoopsie, from one of the commentaries that we're using as the teaching team, the exegetical commentary on the New Testament by Thomas Schreiner. This just helps us to understand how the region of Galatia changed over time. Okay, so here's your quote. Galatia became a Roman province in 25 BC, so before Christ. And the province included people from many ethnic groups, including the Celts, or Galatians, and we know from Acts, there's also synagogues, so there are Jewish people living there. So we have Jews and Gentiles together um, who had migrated to Asia Minor by 278 BC. So the, these ethnic groups have been there for about 250 years prior to Christ. Um, in Paul's day, the province was a large area that touched the Black Sea in the north and the Mediterranean in the south, so all the way across Turkey. As time passed, however, the province changed. So Vespasian, who was one of the um, Roman Caesars, I think, detached almost all of Pisidia from Galatia in AD 74, so shortly after Paul's time. In AD 137, Lyconia Galatica was united with the surrounding regions to form a new province of Pisidia with Antioch as its capital. So some of these same names that we see in the text start to refer to different parts of Turkey as time goes by. So that's helpful for us to know when we're thinking about who's Paul writing to and what part of this you know, land that we now call Turkey is where the people lived, okay? All right, so with that very quick flyover, we're gonna travel on to our next stop. Is everybody ready? Hope you're not exhausted from the geography. Okay. Um, so our next stop is going to be, what does the text say? So in your workbook this week, you had a chance to find some of the building blocks that we're going to use in this exercise, starting with question two on page eight, where you looked at emerging themes of the book of Galatians. And if you got to the extra time section, you got a chance to try your hand at this exercise in question one on page 13. Okay, so we're going to make a very broad outline together of Paul's line of thought. So I've given each of you a bright green half sheet of paper that looks like this, the side that says chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, etc. Okay. So for some of you who got the workbook last week and have done the homework, you've read through the book of Galatians three times already. So what I'd like you to do is turn to two or three neighbors and I want you to take five minutes to write the main idea of each chapter in one sentence or a few phrases. 
Okay? All right, five minutes. Start. Did you find it challenging to fit it into one sentence? I don't blame you. Let's hear what you came up with. Okay, for chapter one, Paul's greeting and rebuke and Paul's calling. Chapter two, Paul's apostleship confirmed. Paul confronts Peter and justification by faith. Well, what's justification? Justification is um, being made right, being given right standing with God on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice for us. So it's just as if we had never sinned. Chapter three, faith um, and blessing, works of the law and curse, promise and Abraham's heirs. Chapter four, um, redeemed from slavery to the law, and the Hagar and Sarah analogy. Chapter 5, freedom to serve in love and keep in step with the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And then last chapter 6, do good to everyone, especially the family of faith. What counts is a new creation and Paul's benediction. Okay, so now you're probably feeling like you figured out what the text says, at least in a nutshell, but how do we figure out what it means? What else do we need to know? Let's move on to our last stop. Stop number three, what does the text mean? So we're going to look at genre and context, and you each have um, a white half sheet on it that has our definitions. Um, the context definitions come from the Charles Simeon Trust workshop that the teaching team has been doing. But let's start with genre. Um, these are both really important for us to understand what the author's original intent for his audience really was. And we have to know that before we can know how to apply God's word to our own hearts or lives or situations. So let's define some terms here to help everyone. Genre. Genre is just a type of literature. So for Galatians, um, the genre is an epistle. It's a letter. So um, an epistle is like hearing one side of a conversation between Paul and the Galatian Christians. So we have to do some work to figure out what exactly is Paul addressing and what are the arguments or questions that Paul is responding to. The next um, definition is literary context. Um, so these are the passages immediately before and after the passage that you're studying. Today we're looking at the whole book of Galatians, not just a section. So we're looking at the entire piece of literature tonight. So imagine that like a whole pie. And if literary context is the empty space where a slice fits, um, tonight we're looking at the entire, entire intact pie. But next week when we look at a, a particular section of scripture, we'll be able to determine the literary context based on where that section fits in the book of Galatians. 
Okay, then biblical context is next. So these are citations and allusions from the scriptures and historical connections to other books. So we're going to spend some time in the coming weeks looking at this particular type of context in detail. But this week, we see a clear reference to Abraham in chapters 3 and 4. Understanding the story of Abraham is important for being able to understand the argument that Paul is making. Paul also refers to his conversion story and the debate over whether or how much of the law the Gentiles needed to keep. And we find both of those um, referred to from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9 and 13 through 15. Um, So both of those allusions that Paul is making are examples of biblical context. And then the last uh, type of context we're going to look at tonight is historical context. And this is the circumstances of the audience. In your workbook this week, we looked at this type of context in question four on day three on page 10, where you were asked to describe the situation in the churches of Galatia. Sometimes this is a category that we really need help with. Some of the information is discernible from the text. Some of the information might seem probable or possible, but not definite. And that's okay. Sometimes it's helpful to know what was happening historically or geographically in that part of the world, like what we learned earlier in the background information section. The goal is not to completely definitively define the historical context. We don't need to speculate or try to stretch the text to say more than it says. Historical context is sometimes not as clear as we'd like it to be, and that's okay. We work with what we've got. So let's apply these definitions of context excuse me, to Galatians in a very general sense. So literary context we've talked about. Today we're looking at the whole book, so it's kind of the whole pie. Biblical context, um, we see references to Abraham. So Genesis 12, 15, 17. We see Hagar and Sarah in Genesis 21. Paul's missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14. Those are all biblical context for Galatians. And then historical context, um, we would say the Galatian churches are facing pressure from the Judaizers to keep the law of Moses, specifically circumcision, in order to be saved. But Paul is defending the true gospel. Salvation is by faith in Christ alone, not faith plus works. Okay, so we have arrived at our destination We traveled through our three stops from background information uh, to what does the text say and now what does the text mean. And now we've arrived at gaining a clearer understanding of the main point of the book of Galatians. This is our end goal. So we call that the melodic line. The melodic line is like a thread that is woven through all the sections of the book illuminating their meaning by helping us to see how all the sections are connected to each other. The melodic line is short, one sentence, and also specific to this book, meaning you shouldn't be able to have the same melodic line for, say, Galatians and Romans. If I say um, the melodic line of Galatians is justification by faith, well, that also fits the book of Romans. And so... Um, We want to have a sentence that is specific enough that when I say it, it can't be applied to another book as well. 
So <clears throat> I'd like you to turn to your group and we're gonna work together for five minutes using what you've studied this week and what we've learned together today to come up with the melodic line of Galatians. This is gonna get refined as the weeks go by, but let's see what we can come up with together today. Ready? Five minutes, go. All right, so let's hear some of your examples. Okay, Jews and Gentiles are both justified by faith in Jesus, which gives us freedom to walk by the Spirit. Good. Anybody else? Yep. Justified by faith alone. Great. Okay. Do not be deceived from the one true gospel. Good. Where did you want to add that one on? Okay. Justified by faith alone. Adding to it equals the false gospel. Okay. All right. We must preserve the truth of the gospel so that we can walk in the freedom of the spirit. Great. All right. So do you guys notice, if we look at the board, look how often this word is repeated. You see? Gospel, 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 and justified, justified. So what's the main point of the book of Galatians? It's the gospel, right? And what's Paul concerned about? He's concerned about distortions. He wants to preserve the true gospel for the Galatians. Okay. So... Before we end, um, I was wondering if anyone would be brave enough to share the gospel in two minutes or less. Anybody? Okay, so the gospel is a holy God created us. We sinned against him, and because of that, we are no longer able to be in a relationship with him. Um, our sin has condemned us to eternity separated from God, but because God loved us so much, he sent his son to die and pay the penalty for our sin, and then God raised him from the dead, and if we place our faith in Christ that he did this for us and that his sacrifice is sufficient for our sin— then we are justified. We get Jesus' righteousness. He takes our sin, and then we are able to be restored in our relationship to the Father and to be with him forever. We receive eternal life. Did anybody hear anything about works in that? No, right? The gospel is something that we're going to dig into very slowly over the course of this year, and we're praying that the truth of the gospel would go really deep down into our hearts so that we would be able to not just articulate it and believe it, but so that we'd be able to share it with others as well. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for preserving the truth of the gospel for us in your word. We thank you that you free all who believe in Jesus from slavery to law-keeping and slavery to sin through the death and resurrection of your Son. I pray that you would give us eyes to see truth, ears to hear it, and hearts to understand and believe as we study Galatians this year. We pray this for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, ladies. You're dismissed.